Good morning. If you're not already there, please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're in the first eight verses together this morning. We may work a little bit back, so we're not May. Um, I'm more prepared than May. We're going to work backwards, which may be the more familiar um, <sighs> preaching of this text centers around verse 8. I love verse 8. Uh, we sent Atticus off last week, specifically yesterday. And Sewell's, we love y'all and are praying for y'all as he is gone um, for a short while. Um, and, and, and all of us, as we said last week, are, are called to wherever God has called us to. So here am I, send me, as Isaiah says, applies to all of us. That is a huge part of our work here. Uh, Susan illustrated that beautifully in our offertory time. What breaks your heart that is also breaking God's heart? Where is God sending you? What is your mission field? It begins, this passage does, with the prophet's declaration that he saw the Lord. And then the rest unfolds from there to to verse 8, and then specifically beyond verse 8, which we won't get into this morning, but it's God's specific call for Isaiah, which is um, interesting as well. But I ask you this morning, have you seen the Lord? Now, before you get too disappointed, if you have not, it's worth noting that uh, to see the Lord mortified Isaiah. Feeling unworthy, he immediately regretted this encounter. He was grappling, no doubt, with what we find in Exodus thirty-three twenty, where God says to Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So let's back off the question just a little bit and maybe just ask whether or not we've heard the Lord. Audibly. Have you? Do you hear God's voice? I, I remember hearing of a person that I respected greatly in, in our church growing up who told, told of, of hearing the Lord, he and his wife, out by their clothesline. And a specific word from the Lord. And I remember not knowing what to do with that because at that point in my life, I think I was around our oldest son's age. I, did, I had not heard the Lord's voice. I didn't want to discount it. I didn't want to disbelieve it, but it was a fairly extremely mystical thought for a little uh, wannabe farm boy from Cross Plains, Tennessee. But I think a mistake we often make in the mysticism that no doubt exists in our relationship with God and our attempt to understand who God is and what God is like is that we either discount those encounters with God, C.S. Lewis put it this way, we, we either discount them completely or we make too much of them. But there is balance to be found, and I would encourage us all not to discount someone's encountering the Lord, rather seeing the Lord or hearing the Lord. So I want us to consider both this morning. I tell you every week that we are loved and sent and never alone. The middle part of this scent is, is, is good news because we want to be sent and we are much more confident in where we are sent when we know what the Lord or believe we know what the Lord has asked of us. Now, this doesn't mean you're necessarily supposed to move to the other side of the world like Atticus has for a while, like many of our folks have throughout the years. It could mean that. It could But we are all sent wherever we are, right in the middle of the work that you're doing. It absolutely could be the work that God has called you to and can use you within. 
Past couple of weeks, we've had the privilege of walking with several of you through our Discover process, and we would love to keep that trend going. Fourteen new saints into our community. I want fourteen a month. New stories are so fun to learn. So if you're considering joining Harpeth Heights as a member where we belong to one another, I pray that you would, you would do that. One of the things we do in that process is we try to understand through our place process your giftedness, that which makes you tick, and put those with opportunities that we may have to match those up so that we are working alongside one another, walking together with Jesus to make the, make the world more like God would have it to be. We understand anything that falls into that description, that fits into that, is building for God's kingdom to be participating in the mission of God in the world that is going on all around us. Now, good teams, which is what I want us to be here, takes all kinds. I remember when I was graduate assistant at Belmont with the basketball team, we had a, a player, and just indulge me with the sports reference, please. We had a player who was a very good player, but he didn't shoot the ball well. And one of the drills that we did most often, because at Belmont, if we didn't shoot the ball well, we weren't going to win games just the way it was. And so we shot a lot in practice. And we would have a, a drill called game shots, where we would encourage the guys to shoot shots that they would get in the games and shoot them at the speed at which they would try to shoot them in the games, try to simulate what it's like in the game as much as possible. And my buddy, Omari, would often joke he was the really good player who didn't shoot the ball very well at all. And when we would start that drill, he would start, uh, go to center court and he would start setting screens. That's funny because that's what he would say was his game shots because we didn't ask him to shoot very often. He made light of it because he uh, was an emotionally intelligent fella uh, who knew his role. He was shedding light on the fact that he wasn't expected or desired, for that matter, to shoot the ball. But he was still hugely instrumental to us so many times during the year. While we certainly want your help to fit into leadership opportunities that fit, and we have a leadership summit coming up across all of our campuses at the end of this month, our goal would be for you to fit into a leadership opportunity, and we want each of you to be leaders. I think if you're a member, you're a leader in some way. And we want that to fit with what you enjoy. We do. But we also understand that at times that may not be the case. It may not work out that you are asked to do exactly what you want to do. Isaiah's immediate response to God's call here was, hold up, wait a minute. That's how a family works, though, right? I mean, have any of us really ever delighted in doing the laundry? Taking out the recycling? One of my favorite guys to hear preach, his name is Will Willimon. He told a story one time where he was serving at a church in Alabama. He'd only been there for a little while, and he went to there. They, they had a, a, a night of the week where they fed the hungry in their community. It was a soup kitchen. That's what it was, and he noticed the, the gentleman who was serving the soup had a scowl on his face. He was just not happy. And he thought, well, something's going on with this guy, so I want to 
talk to him and, and see if we can, you know, I can figure out what's going on because I want to pray for him. And he found out it wasn't anything that was particularly wrong in that week or that day. It was just the general approach this man brought to the soup ladle, which was kind of unfortunate because he was just foul and not happy to be there. And Will Illinois said, man, why do you do it if you're going to act like this? And the guy looked back and said, because God asked me to. Willemine remarked about that. He found that sad a little bit, but also kind of refreshing. Because sometimes God asks us to get the job done that needs to be done. And I don't think that means we should necessarily have a terrible attitude about it. I think this man could have perked up a little bit, and that probably would have helped everything. I hope we could be grateful regardless of our circumstances. But the point stands, church family. Sometimes we go do the work. Why? Because God asks us to. And because of what we're talking about this morning about God. God is holy. So we can trust God. Remember what A.W. Tozer uh, wrote beautifully that we have circled back to occasionally during our God is series. He said, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I ask you, church, this morning when you think about God, do you think about God being holy? Another way to ask this is what we've sung several times already. Are we awestruck by God? And I think this is an important distinction to make. I did not ask if you understood God's holiness. I did not ask if you understood God's moral character. I asked if you were awestruck by God. It is a majestic scene that Isaiah paints here. God has a huge robe that apparently fills the whole temple palace. And, and, then, and then we really don't know what to make of these angels, the, the seraphs, seraphim, the text says. But terrifyingly, one of the commentaries that I consulted this week suggested that they very well could have been snakes with wings. That's ridiculous. Why would they be snakes? That just seems awful to me. But then again, this whole scene is supposed to trigger some majestic Feeling, and it's anyway, this is all that we're talking about. So maybe not understanding it, it, not understanding it fully at least, seems right. You see, God is inexplicably huge. Holy, 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 our text says. The repetition, which is used to emphasize one of the only places in Scripture that the word is said three times. It, it, it's as if to say that God's holiness is so far beyond anything the human mind can comprehend that a super word had to be invented or employed here for this. And this unable to be grasped holiness that encompasses God is in a sense what encompasses the truth about God. Now, as, aw- as awe-inspiring as, as God is, as holy as God is, Isaiah is being called here to serve in a time that was very difficult for God's people, for the Israelites. His entire life was spent in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a bath of confusion. They were scared. The Assyrians from the north were constantly a threat to come down and dominate 
Israel. In other words, Isaiah was sent to a people who he himself in our text describes as a people of unclean lips. He described himself as a man of unclean lips. These were people who had failed to live up to God's righteous demands. And God was saying he had a job for him. And Isaiah is calling out what he understands about himself and his people. When I think about people failing to live up to God's righteous demands, I think about my own household on Thursday afternoons and evenings. It's a mess. The kids are tired from school. Um, Leslie Ann and I are tired because we're just tired. And it doesn't always go well. And when we have a really good Thursday night, it seems like an extraordinary win. But when I hear, when I read Isaiah's words in verse 5 here, I think about Thursday nights. And I think about what Isaiah is likely feeling when he says this. And he says, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm about to be asked to do something of God, of value, and I don't think anybody's going to listen to me. I'm going to dole out some suggestions as we do as parents, and I'm afraid nobody is going to be interested in listening to me. And so, again, likely thinking of Exodus 33:20, when Moses was warned that no man can see God's face and, and live. Moses, who when asked to do what God asked him to do, quickly responded with, can't you find someone else, someone more capable? And we see such an attitude in Isaiah here welling up. I am a man of unclean lips. I I don't have what it takes here, calling out his own sin and brokenness. But this scene in Isaiah does not end with God's presence, leaving Isaiah dead. This is this is not a scene where the vast holiness of God is all that is seen here. This is a scene where God's love and forgiveness also is at play. What we have talked about in the last few weeks, Isaiah does not, in fact, die. And in this fact that Isaiah does not die, we see the very hope, capital H-O-P-E, hope that Isaiah makes the very theme of his prophetic message for his people in the rest of his prophetic work. That we would cling to God's promises from God who is holy, even though we are the way that we are, even though we fall short the way we fall short. And we do all of this with the faith that is necessary in a circumstance where we can't know for sure what God is like, where God's very nature is holiness. That which is most important about God, we believe, is impossible to fully understand. Karl Barth great German theologian once said this. He said, we must speak of God, but we're unable to do so. And it is in this trying and failing that we actually give God glory. Does it scare you that we cannot speak well of God or or get God exactly right or put God in a box, as some folks say? But think about it with me. Does it make sense that we would understand the one who created all that there is? I don't think that it does. But in our awestruckness, if I can create a word, Isaiah shows us what faith looks like. As confident as Isaiah is in his own brokenness and in the brokenness of his people, 
He is equally confident, if not more, in God's mercy, in God's grace, in God's forgiveness. And the Lord says to Isaiah, okay, Isaiah, the situation is bad. And it really, it, it, it really doesn't seem like it's getting any better. But you must hold on to the hope that you have in the promises that I've made, Isaiah. You must hold on to that hope in the promises that I've made. And we must today. So the news will be flooded with stories of ecological trauma. Fires that are wild, storms that are huge, flooding that is immense. And the debate will rage. Are these natural occurrences, are they getting more extreme? Or are the people of earth simply taking up more of the earth and, and, and garnering more of the earth's discomfort because of this? And, and people will be passionate about their answers to these great questions. And unfortunately, in our passion, all too often, we will cease to be kind in our disagreement. Because we're people with unclean lips living among people with unclean lips. And then a great virus will sweep our lands. And it, too, will cause people who disagree to be very unkind in their disagreement. Because you know what? We are people of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. And the lives of those who are not yet born will continue to be discarded. And far too often these killings happen because those deciding to kill have already been discarded by society. Because we are people with unclean motives living among people with unclean motives. The day the church forgets the truth about our brokenness is the day that it won't matter to us that God is holy and we are not. But do we have to get everything right right now? I wish we would. Or I wish we would do better, wish I would do better. But I don't believe that we are called to getting everything right right now. I, I believe we have to lean into very hard into what Bill preached a couple of weeks ago from Philippians 2. We aspire first and foremost to humility. It was St. Augustine Hippo who said the most important, the three most important characteristics of Christianity are humility, humility. And humility. We aspire to humility. We cling to our faith that ultimately God is going to make all things right, all things new. And we try, yes, we do. We try to get better. Further along every day is one of the ways we put it here. But we know that we fail. But in trying, we give God glory, Karl Barth believed, and I do too. Because in our humility, we know that we are among people with unclean lips, with our own unclean lips. Richard Lentz, theologian, said that human flourishing is always a function, always a function of delighting in that which God delights in and desiring that which God desires. 
I see Isaiah in his despair here about reality that he knew of himself and his people and then reality of what he knew God was going to be asking of him. And I see him taking a stand to say, I'm going to live to figure out what it is that God delights in, what it is that God desires. And I think he had an inkling. I think he understood that it was his own availability, not as much his ability. So that is what I desire for our church, for us, for me, for my family, for your families, for the way that we are families together. It's the hope that I have for our community that the world outside of our community would see this about us, that we aren't backbiting, that we aren't bitter, that our programs and our time spent together might not look like it always has because it's just not going to look like it always has. The world is so different. God's not. I don't want us to be a group of people who acts like we know everything. Because if we're honest, we don't. And what is our testimony going to be if it's not first honest? We are marked by our humility. We have questions about what God is like. And that is okay. We are working that out together. That is what we have been called to. Isaiah didn't say, here I am with all the answers. So I feel good about you sending me. Just said, send me. We're working it out. Don't let anybody tell you that you're supposed to have it all figured out. I don't believe God's telling you that. Have you seen God? Have you heard from God? At least part of Isaiah's willingness to hear God's call on his life was due to the fact that he had been face to face with God's holiness. He had seen the majesty of God. Have you? I hope that we can help one another do exactly that. Let's pray.